This is Kayak Fishing Radio, and it's time for Yak Fish in Texas with your hosts, Jaron Wassel and Andrew Moxagimba. Join the conversation at kayakfishingradio.com or call the guys up at 714-816-4727. Now, it's time for Yak Fishing Texas. Here are your hosts, Jaron and Andrew. Another Tuesday night on Kayak Fishing Radio. I am your host, Jaron Wassel. This is Yak Fishing Texas. And, of course, I am joined by my friend, Andrew Moxagemba. And we're going to cover a little couple of pieces of information that we've got for the past events that went on this last weekend and some upcoming stuff. So let's uh, dive right into it. So, of course, you know, this last weekend we wrapped up our demo day. Uh, pretty good event. Had a lot of turnout this weekend. A lot of people jumping in, trying a lot of new boats. You know, a lot of big, uh, a lot of big, uh, big showings by the Viking group. You know, we had a lot of people who were interested jumping in there and and jumping and trying new boats. So that was uh, that was pretty that was pretty fun. And so, Andrew, did you see anything unique going on uh, at the demo that you were uh, you were impressed by? No, I mean, the amount of people on stand-up paddle boards, which has nothing to do with this show whatsoever, but that was surprising. Oh, I saw a lot of people falling off stand-up paddle boards, too, but, I mean, it was just really surprised how many people were giving that a try, especially, you know, traditional kayakers jumping up and trying that stuff out. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I agree, man. That was uh, that was pretty cool. The the paddle boards are always fun to see people jump on and try out. Uh and fall off of. <laughs> just it's not made for everybody, but they learn quickly. Uh yeah, so I mean, you know, the I did a you know, did the customary tour on the Hobie E uh, E series SUPs. Those are always really fun. And uh and then I took a little bit of, got a little seat time on the Amigo from Diablo Paddle Sports. Uh always impressed with the the Diablo boats. And those are fun too. So, uh, did you get any seat time, anything that you were particularly trying to take out? 
No, I mean, <clears throat> not really. The one thing I did do is I actually paddled. This was last week, and nobody paddled one of those sea kayaks and tried to, you know, cast out of it last weekend, which was interesting. Um, but no, I, at the past of my day, it was just too busy. I didn't have a chance to get on the water but one time, which kind of sucks. That's the whole point. It's a chance for us to try stuff out, too. But no, I didn't, ha- I didn't have an opportunity to do it. Yeah, it, we uh, we also had the pleasure of having the owner of Yak Attack uh, come down to the event here in Houston, or down at the Houston, not here. Uh, and, you know, we had Luther there, and he was showing everybody kayak rigging and a bunch of the Yak Attack accessories. That was pretty cool. You know, had a pretty good turnout for his seminar. A lot of guys interested in seeing how, you know, he goes about rigging his boats because, you know, not everybody does it the same. Uh, there was a lot of turnout for his uh his seminar and man, it was a uh, is unique. You know, we I see the Zuka tube all over the place, and you know, like everybody takes it as a rod holder at first. But he was doing something with it was really cool in the fact that he was using it as a stakeout pole holder instead of the using like an anchor trolley or whatnot. That that is something I had never seen that particular piece being used for. So, you know, there, there again, uh, those guys, you know, utilizing whatever they've got to get the job done. That was a, that was a really cool mod for sure. Yeah, you know, the other thing that he said too, which shows, I guess, different things across the country, he was talking about how, you know, instead of sticking it through your, you know, sticking your stakeout stick through your scupper, which is like a, a huge no-no here. Apparently, you know, in right. other parts of the country, that's, that's okay and typical. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. He's like, you know, instead of doing it through your scupper, you do it through the Zuka tool. I'm like, um, yeah, we don't do it through the scupper here. So. <laughs> right, yeah, man, that was, yeah, that's, around here, it, it's just, it's so windy and everything. It just, it, it, it's, a, it's such a bad idea for someone to do that because it, you just put so much stress on that inner scupper wall and it can either damage your stakeout pole. We've seen it happen before and it also cause leaks in the boat. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always cool to see what other people around are doing to rig the boats. But, I, you know, man, I had never even thought about, you know, like forever. We always talked about putting rod holders up in front of us in uh, off to the side, but it's always in the way of the paddle stroke and everything like that. But having those gear tracks and putting on that Trident 13 the way he did, that was really unique, man. I mean, it got the rods far enough forward. You didn't have to worry about your paddle hitting anything. And uh, it positioned it really well, too, for even trolling, especially when he used that, that newer Zuka tube, the one that he got on the extension arm. Uh, that, was, that was pretty handy. I, I'll have to admit that. Yeah, and the fact that we learned that that extension arm is available, you know. <laughs> so, kind of a shame yeah, that, that doesn't we make, didn't know that. That does make a difference when you become aware, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I can. I agree. Go ahead, man. So come on. No, I say come on. Ask your customary question because I can actually answer you this week if I got well, on the water. I can, I, but I, I can I can answer I with you because all three of us went fishing. Me, you, and Luther went. And the guy from Virginia is the one that catches the only fish. So we uh we did we we got a chance to go fish underneath the Gallison Causeway. Uh, it's a customary trip that you know. I take routinely throughout the year sometimes to go out there and we fish for speckled trout underneath the lights. And, you know, it's 
it's really hit or miss under the Gallatin Cobb. And there's times of the year when it, you can just go down and you can just stroke fish. I mean, decent-sized ones, too. And then you move into the summer, and it seems like it moves into schoolie trout and everything like that. So the quality starts to go downhill. and But you definitely can get into fish down there. But, man, it was that – was, that was really, really brutal, i got to admit, man. I feel really bad that we, <laughs> we put Luther through that. I, I was sitting back, driving back home that night, and I was sitting there thinking, why didn't we just hit the Tiki Island lights or something like that? It would have been so much easier. Yeah, but that's not our MO. I mean, you and I go fish. It's usually typically the worst conditions possible, and we've made it a habit of doing that to ourselves and now dragging other people out with us. So. Right. Yeah. No, I, I made sense. It's appropriate. <laughs> it it did make it appropriate. Absolutely. Uh, I I have to agree there. It does. It did. Like you said, it does stick with our mo for fishing trips. Be it sandblasting wind or rain or whatever, we we encounter it whenever we go. So, but you know, leave it to Luther though, man. Comes down there, gets up in the light ca- uh, casting, and pulls out a a schoolie trout. Has to, I have to applaud him on the effort there because, man, that was, I'm telling you, I've been in some wind before, but that wind coupled with that current going through there was just ridiculous. I mean, we piled up, got within 10 foot of the lighted area, the lit area, and by the time you cast, you're already 50 feet back. I mean, it's in, it was insane the amount of travel we had. And it didn't even really matter if you were on the windward side or the leeward side. You were you were getting tossed around all over, and that was not necessarily paddling conditions for a, a newbie. I would never encourage someone who's brand new to kayak fishing to go in and fishing underneath the Galveston Causeway without checking your tidal movements, without checking your winds or anything like that, because you can experience some stuff that you, if you're not an experienced paddler, you can get in some deep doo-doo. Right. But you were in that reload. You handled it fine. I was in my 4.7, and, you know, those two boats were – those are easily suited for that type of water. But uh, Luther was – he was toughing it out in that Moken 14, and that thing took it like a champ. I was really impressed by the way that boat handled those conditions. And then, you know, what was nuts is, you know, we were all on those solid fishing platforms, solid paddling boats, all that. Uh, we those those there were two guys fishing down there in Old Town Herons. That, yeah, I wondered if you were gonna bring that up. They were flying around too. Yeah, man. I mean, I've seen a lot of people jump and sit inside and fish and not have an issue. But yeah, man. I mean, those guys were in small little nine foot boats, and they were flying all over the place. I was really impressed. I mean, just goes to show different strokes for different folks, but. You wouldn't catch me underneath there in those conditions in a sitting side any given day. I I don't care, man. Maybe if it's glass calm and no current moving, but they were they more than handled the the situation. Absolutely. But uh, I still think we, <clears throat> I still think we would have shooting with uh, should have went and fished Tiki. And you know what stinks, man? Is we were sitting down there, and by the time you decided to leave, I got a text message. From uh, from a buddy of mine that said that he's got trout in his lights on the backside uh, over by Sportsman's Road, 
And I was like, man, do I really want to go pack up, drive over there an additional 30 minutes, and then <laughs> and then come back in? I was I was really really torn, dude. I really was. You know, we could have started the night there. Like I said, if we could have find a pier with some lights, I would have set the kayak on the pier and fished off the kayak on the pier. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, that absolutely. Was, that was terrible. It's, that's fishing from the kayak. I don't know how you can uh, necessarily be claiming that you didn't. No, I mean, it, it looked good in a picture as long as you got close up. Oh, for sure, man. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. But, good, you know, so feet. <laughs> that's exactly right, man. But, uh, yeah, you know, um, fishing lights, you know, that's, I'm kind of, kind of want to touch on that, you know. There are some really good tactics for fishing lights, and you know we can just kind of you know kind of brush over some of those for people who are listening. Uh, my favorite thing to throw in lights, really, you know, there's there's a couple of lures that that always stand out in my mind and have been the most successful. You know, Yoziri crystal minnows, and I like them about as natural color as possible, um, be it green lights or other that are submerged or white lights like flood lights that are. They're lighting the top of the water. You know, I want something that's going to look about just about as close to what I'm fishing or, like, what the bait fish that are in there and what the trout are hitting. Now, you know, I was using a crystal minnow the other day, uh, and I really didn't have that much luck just due to the fact that um, um, it was just a bigger bait than what was in the water. You know, when we were fishing, I noticed something really funny is that there were really no glass minnows or shad in the uh, in the um, the water. It was mostly like little small fiddler crabs, and I I've never seen that before. Not even fiddler crabs; they just they were just crabs. Period. I've never seen them swimming in the lights like that, and I didn't see anything hitting them. But you know, I didn't have a crab lure either, so I didn't really know if that's what was if they were hitting on that. But you know. Crystal minnows from Missouri, those are always really good. And then those, uh, you know, any type of a jerk bait that was real clear, you know, Luther was using that Rapala, a small little suspending bait, and that's what he caught his on, and it was in a clear color, just something like a glass minnow. You know, you can also throw, like, spec rigs. Those are always a, a popular uh, favorite to throw around in the lights. And uh, what were you throwing, Andrew? That, um, that same Rapala, that crystal minnow, and then I was throwing a, um, a what was it? I was a, it was a new Corky that I picked up that night, that little... Oh, um, uh, yeah, that's right, the peanut. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't the peanut. It was like a little dink. I can't remember what it was. But it was, yeah, the only thing I got hit on was the um, Rapala. Then, of course, I caught the causeway, donated the lure to the, <laughs> to the causeway. So, like you said, man, it's it's not a fishing trip unless we encounter something like that. So, yeah, that's, but, uh, that's definitely for sure. Go ahead. No, I so, said, you know, you're talking about fishing lights, and you have the those um, lights on your boat, those supernovas. I think I think a guy at the store asked me something today that I couldn't honestly answer him because I haven't done it. When um when you're fishing, you know, a lighted area, and you come up with your boat with the, those lights on because they put out so you know such a I mean, those lights light up a large area around your boat. Can you actually draw bait fish from the light to your boat if you come out a little bit from the light? You know, I've seen, uh, you know, my my lights are blue. And, you know, light in general, you know, I've always noticed, 
can bring bait fish in, uh, not really depending on the color. Some, some colors, yes, do bring in more, but I have seen guys fish lights like, uh, like people submerge, like the green lights or whatever, and then they'll set up on the outside, just outside the lit area, and they'll flip their lights on. And I, truthfully, I have seen bait fish get pulled off of the main light to their boat. So, you know, there, there is the possibility to do that. And, but it's not, like a, it's not like a light switch. It's not like you turn the lights on and, bam, there's bait in your boat. I mean, and it, it should never be thought of that way. The lights are awesome. They're fantastic products. They're, they make you very visible on the water, and they do attract bait fish, but it's not an instant thing. You've got, you know, it's just like those guys that have those piers. They don't turn their lights on and, bam, the fish are there. And you've got to you've got to sit there, and most of the time I've always noticed you've got to sit there and be fairly calm and still, and let the, the let everything kind of heat up around you. I mean, you'll, you'll get the bait fish come in, and then then you'll get the predatory fish, and before you know it, you know you've got uh, you've got stuff around you as well as the big light that you were fishing in the first place. So yeah, so to answer your question, yeah, I've seen them work exactly the way that the big lights do. Gotcha, because I've never witnessed it, and I was like, well, you would think it would, you know, if you get close enough to it. I mean, I can't imagine you just paddling out in the middle of the bay, flipping your lights on, and all of a sudden you're surrounded by bait. But, I mean, if you're by a source, you should, you know, periodically be able to pull them to you. Right. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was a long time ago, and, like, when the lights first came into the marketplace, like the supernovas and the wildcats, you know, when they were first on the market. Uh, that's when we. That's when I saw a guy with them in the canals. So yeah, it was it was pretty impressive uh, to see that work that way. And you know now everybody is doing it more than just so with with just attracting bait, but for safety. So but yeah, they do work. I, I've seen it. But, but yeah. So but but anyways, like so you know so baits for fish and lights. You know you want to stay small. You want to stay. You want to match the hatch very closely. And typically when I fish lights also, I want to make sure that I'm not fishing just one light in one area. Because every once in a while you'll come into an area where there's a lot of, you can see the fish schooled up swimming around the light, uh, swarming bait fish and maybe, you know, even striking them. But like Andrew, you noticed whenever we were at Boondoggle, we did that by that lit pier. You catch one fish and next thing you know, they shut down. You can run into that. Yeah, you can run into that all over the place. So no matter where you go, it could be one light, one catch, and it's done, and then you move down to the next, and then you can catch three, four, five fish off of one light. I've been in both situations. It's just a matter of how those fish are fired up that evening. If they're spooky and you snag one, they're going to stay spooky is what I've all come across. So, you know, that, that's definitely one thing to think about. So I like to stay in areas where there's multiple options for me to go and fish, Thankfully, whenever you go to areas like Tiki Island and all of that area, there are a lot of lights all over the place. And it's just like you light hop. One light may hold fish. You paddle down 15 feet, and suddenly someone else has got, uh, has got fish on their lights. So, you know, you just got to be able to have that flexibility to move around and go from spot to spot. That's, that's for sure. So... Um, another thing, like another tactic that I employ is 
I see a lot of guys, they'll paddle up to, say, a flooded area, and they just cast right in the middle of the light. Like, especially those submerged lights, they'll cast right in the middle, right in the center of the light source, and they don't get bit. I, I Rarely will you ever see me do that unless there's, you know, I'm targeting one specific fish and I'm just, you know, I'm just farting around. The I've always had most success wherever I cast to the edge of the light and work the edges. To me, that's always seemed to be where the bigger fish are sitting. Uh, they're waiting for the bait to come outside or get flushed out that way for an easy meal. And, and I've always found like it just seems like the smaller fish sit in the in the center area, and they're just they're just hoarding all over the place. So I like casting the edge. And if not, if you want to, I've even caught larger fish where I'll cast past the light and then I'll work the very bottom of the water column uh, across the bottom, you know, like a jig head with a gulp on it or a, a gulp curly tail grub, anything like that. I'll pick them up that way. You, uh, do you have any anything that you usually do around light that are different? No, I'm kind of just what you're saying, working the edges, because I, mean, I remember going back to the boondoggle again, and we were there around that light. You could, maybe, We were close enough where you could see right into the light, and it was nothing in the crystal clear water helped too. There's nothing but, you know, small trout right there underneath the light. And then you could look around on the edge. You could see because you could see some shadows around the edge of it. So the same thing, you know, exactly the same thing. Yep, just sit back, pick your poison, don't cast in the center, and be patient. You know, I see a lot of guys that they'll paddle out, and they'll sit there and they'll think, all right, I'm in lights, I'm going to catch fish first cast. And it's, it's not that way. Those fish, to me, they all seem to be a little, little bit more hesitant to bite right off the bat than anything. You've really got to work them. And, you know, from, like I said before, from light to light, that can differ. But from the most part that I've come across, they can be very, very choosy about, uh, you know, when they're going to bite, how they're going to bite, and what they're going to bite. So, you know, you've you got to be able to have a lot of patience waiting for those fish. And, and uh, I've always had a lot more luck with uh, – you know, versus light sources. Green lights I've been okay with, but I've always had a lot more luck with the floodlights that are shining down on top of the water. I don't know about you, but it's it's always been a much more productive evening for me fishing that sound like why? I don't know. But it just stands out in my head every single situation I've ever fished in a light like that's been better. Because, again, to, you know, when we were in Florida, there was a pier right down from us and it had a submerged light versus where we were fishing. We were fishing that floodlight from above, and we caught fish from the floodlight and not the submerged light. You know, that, that's a, that was unique in my opinion, and it's, it's related to Texas as well. I, I'm, you know, I'll have to sit down and probably read something about light frequency and how fish respond and whatnot. You know, I'll, I'll have to read into that, and if it has any merit, but... I, I that's that's always been my observation. You know, a part part of it might be that too. That's how you know in Texas how we grew up fishing. You grew up fishing floodlights or you know lights over a pier. Even when you're a kid, you know that's how we're used to fishing and used to how to approach it. I mean, maybe we're not approaching like the submerged lights in the correct manner. You know, instead of fishing the edges like we do with you know a floodlight, maybe there's a different tactic that we haven't attempted. But the submerged light. Yeah. So I I'm, mean, I'm, I'd want to talk to somebody that does it. Maybe maybe we're doing something wrong. 
No, I, I completely agree. That's it, just always been my my uh, my observation. Like I said, I mean, I've also noticed that I get away with a lot more in like areas that have the big floodlights versus the the submerged ones. I can use a lot more surface commotion uh, on a on a big floodlight. I you know you can get away with a top water here and there. You can get something that's a little bit more noisy. Um, and I don't know if it's just because the light's coming from the top and it's just you know it's kind of obscuring the view of the fish from below looking up. They just see something moving really, really fast, and they're just reacting to it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they, I've always had a lot more vicious hits that way. And whereas submerged lights, I've had more timid. So there could be something there. I'd have to, you know, a good person to probably talk to who's got a lot of, a lot of experience in fishing lights would be Rick Spillman. You know, he's a... He fishes. He fishes them practically every single night since he has a lit pier. And I, if I'm not mistaken, right. his is a floodlight too. So I don't know, man. We'll have to bring him on and maybe talk about that sometime. But but time of the year for for uh, fishing the lights is is drastically coming upon us. I mean, you can fish them in the in the winter and all of that. But I've always had the most success in the warmer months. You know, late spring, all during the summer, fall. But it's it's always been a late bite, and it's never been like just as soon as it gets dark. You got to really give it time to to set. And those those lights that have been sitting there lit from like before dusk to dusk to to whenever it's complete pitch black, those those are the ones that you want to hit. And you know, my wife always hates it because we go fish those so late at night, we get back so late. But you know, I've always predominantly done well in the eleven o'clock to one o'clock in the morning time frame those fish really don't have a lot of pressure on them at that time, and they become a little bit more relaxed. So, you know, if you're going to go out and go try some light fishing, you know, take a couple of these pieces of advice to heart. You know, go late. Um, fish strengths of water that are going to have multiple light sources that give you lots of options, and your baits need to really match, you know, what's going on that time, be it small shrimp, and take lots of options. I mean, you should – I always have, like, a night fishing box that's set aside, specifically jerk baits, uh, shrimp imitations, and I'm really downsizing my lure there. And I even downsize my line. I don't fish with braid in that situation. I'll use, you know, 10-pound mono or 8-pound fluoro, something like that that's going to give me a little bit lighter line. They can't really get scooped too easy. So, you know, that's just some, uh, that's just some pieces of information that I'd like to pass on, and hopefully you guys can employ that and hopefully translating some more fish for you whenever you go out and fish uh, at night in the light. So, but we'll go ahead and get away from that topic because you could talk all night on that. I mean, geez Louise. But uh, big update. So tomorrow, going to, or actually tonight, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's midnight, is the cutoff date for signing up for the Lone Star Kayak Series. So if you guys have not done that, it potentially may have already been cut off, uh, but it is this coming weekend. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to register, you know, and, and you want to go see what the tournament scene is all about, go and fish and fish in the area, but go see the weigh-in and see how everything goes on out there because it is really cool. Uh, Dustin does a really good job out putting this on. And there's a lot of good guys out there, and you'll learn a ton about fishing, and especially tournament fishing. 
Uh, Andrew, are you going to make it down there uh, for the event? I am. I have a, but I have a staff guy from the Houston stores, and I go down there and work the booth. I'm hopefully just going to go down there and fish and kind of hang out. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited about this weekend. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot. It's a rough weekend with Easter, but I mean, it's a. Yeah, I'm excited about getting there and getting the little competitive spirit going. So. Yeah, it's not really Easter. Easter Sunday. <laughs> yeah, you get a, you get a hall pass for Saturday. You would think, but you know, I, I might be out of hall passes for the past like five weekends. So, I'm running low. <laughs> well, well, you got to save up all those hall passes for July, my friend. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's that's a, that's a that's a week long hall pass. Just to let everybody know, uh, we're contemplating the the thought of going down there and fishing with Jim Salmon again in Baja. So that would be interesting because we would actually be in Baja for a Tuesday. I wonder if potentially we could do a Skype show because they'll have Wi-Fi at the resort. That could be fun. I wonder if kayak fishing radio has ever gone on the road before like that. That would be actually not even on the road, international. I want to say we've done it on the road before because I've been driving while on the show. <laughs> well, at least you're honest. We've, we've been on the road. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, that would be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. I kind of got sidetracked right there, but I just thought about that. That would have been really sweet. That would be really sweet. Yeah, uh, we could have Jim and Sean and everybody right there on the show that night, live feed from Baja up-to-date fishing reports, and then we would be there for a Thursday, too. We could call and phone Hayes Chip and let him know how good the fishing is where we're at and how it's so much better than where he is. <laughs> and all, I have a feeling by, by 8 o'clock, there would probably be a few drinks consumed, so the show could be a little more lively. Well, and I think we would be, I think we'd be an hour behind. I'm not sure if it's central or not over there. I think it's I think it's Pacific. I think it's two hours behind. Oh yeah, there we go. We would de- yeah we would definitely have a couple margaritas in us, so that'd be all right. But um, kind of think so yeah. And then we also had this last weekend we had the cat tournament over on Sam Rayburn, and if I'm not mistaken, the majority of Everybody who fished that event traveled from the Austin area or the Houston area. I think they only had a couple of locals, and they had some absolute slob fish caught. I saw one of them was 24 and three quarters. Uh, that's an easy like that's an easy nine pound fish, man. Uh, and not to mention the fact it wasn't just one caught. Big Bass was actually a tie. That was awesome. Christian showed me some of the pictures of that, and they had to go to a kicker fish to determine the tiebreaker for Big Bass. So I was really happy to see that the Rayburn event went off fantastic. And it, it's such a great fishery that it really doesn't shock me that that quality of fish was caught. But the fact that those guys had really good weather conditions, that did shock me because I'm used to that part of the country, man. It it sucks wind-wise, especially this time of year. It's it's pretty much just like Houston. It just gets hammered by those those spring winds. So they had really good weather. They had really good fish. I think the winning stringer was somewhere around, like, close to 90 inches. So, you know, that's that's a good day. That's a really good day. So they had a really good turnout. 
And I know the Cap City Kayak Fishing Tournament up in, on Ray Hubbard, I can't remember how many guys they had, like 20-something guys, and they had a really good they, – so they had a good turnout up there too. So bass fishing on the road this weekend was a success in the kayak world. Got to appreciate that, that's for sure. I was glad to see those tra- – the, you know, the cat term is kind of traveling around and getting out of just being in in Austin. That's that's really cool. And yeah. A couple of events have been all over the place, and that's it's just nice to see. Yeah, you know, it sets the groundwork. And, you know, it's not it doesn't just promote the event, in my opinion. It, prov- it promotes the sport altogether because I'm pretty sure there's plenty of places that you can go in Texas. You can launch a kayak, go fish, and there's still going to be people sitting there going, what in the world is that thing? What are they sitting in? You know, it, it, you, still, you still get, especially in remote places like East Texas, you know, it, it sounds cliche that, you know, they live in the woods and they don't see a lot. You know, I went to school out there. They... When they see stuff like that, they, it's true. They, don't, they really don't know what in the world it is. I mean, there are people out there that do know, but you can find some guys that are like, what in the world is that thing? And, you know, it's not necessarily maybe a guy who can afford a $60,000 bass boat, but he can sure as hell, you know, afford a eight or $900 kayak or something less than that and gets him out on the water effectively. And he can join events like Cats or Cap City later down the road. So, you know, that that's that's a good thing for the kayak events to get on the road and travel. So, and then uh, I also think we had last week we had the IFA tournament go down. It was in uh, I think it was in Rockport, and the Team Ocean kayak guys were represented very well. <laughs> I think Clint, Phil, and uh, Cameron they all finished in the top eight. Wow, I would that's I good, would say you don't follow them. That's shocking, but that's really not shocking. I mean, that's kind of like typical ocean team ocean kayak, isn't it, at this point? Pretty much, man. It's just, you know, for us, we see those guys consistently doing that. It's the norm, but, you know, I know, uh, I know Clint coming up, you know, with the tournament season, getting ready to hit full swing. He's going to be all guns up competing against the power boaters. So we'll, uh, we'll definitely have to keep him – on the radar throughout the season, and if he he does a big finish, you know, because I know he's won before, we can uh, we can put that up on the Facebook page. That'd be really sweet. Kayaker beats power boaters, and I know he's fishing tournaments that are like over hundreds of boats, man. Right. No, that's so, cool. I mean, what we should do is we should put like a contest out of if you see Clint and you have access to some kind of like GPS tracking device, and you can place it in his kayak. And to report back coordinates to us, that'd be awesome. So just throwing that out there. <laughs> report back coordinates. I like where your uh, I like where your mind is at. Absolutely. <laughs> Throw away the guessing game. We're just going where you went. Yeah, we need. To, we're going to need dates, times. <laughs> uh, so I. I do you know of any other events that are be coming up uh, soon? Other than uh, you know, we got the. The Lone Star this weekend. I'm not sure of what anything else is going on afterwards. Um, that was always the big one that stood out in my mind. But I know there was something else coming up. I know I caught that the other day, and I just can't remember exactly what it was. Do you did Do you remember what it was, Andrew? No, I mean my folks has just been on these these demos on Lone Star for the past few weeks, so I'm kind of at a loss on anything else that's going on in the world right now. 
Yeah, I, I was trying. I know I saw something the other day outside of um, outside of the cats and Lone Star, but having a hard time thinking of that. Um, we'll go ahead and do our. Uh, I'll I'll continue continue to go ahead and promote this as much as I can. I'll bring up the events as as, as soon as possible. Uh, on February or on. Um, April 19th, the San Antonio chapter on Heroes in the Water is having an outing coming up. Uh, it's going to be at the Purple Heart Ranch in Hondo, Texas. Uh, so if, you, uh, if you've got a boat, you've got time, you've got whatever to spare, that's where you need to be. Uh, go and help these guys out and put on a good showing for these guys. So uh, I think they've got it on their Facebook page for the San Antonio chapter. Get out online and you know, like their page, follow, follow the updates. That'll be a that'll be a good event, and then the following weekend, if I'm not mistaken, they've got another thing. Uh, yeah, so here we go. They're going to in Southeast Texas. They've got the spring demo on uh, April 25th. That'll be a that's going to be a fun event. So see where they've got it here. That's going to be the Southeast Texas Heroes on the Water team. It's going to be at Tuscan Lakes in League City. So that's gonna let uh, that's gonna be kind of like a just a kayak demo right there, man. I mean, but specifically in letting the the vets get out there and try a bunch of different boats. That's kind of a cool event. That's something probably we should look in uh, getting involved with right there. Yeah, you know, I had a vendor mention something to me about Heroes in the Water that I never really considered. Um, you know, people he had taken people old boats that had. Um, you know, holes in them they didn't believe was, that were repairable or just older kayaks. And he'd fixed them up and uh, repaired them and had been donating the heroes in the water. I, I wonder if there's a, you know, a place or a way for us to, you know, do some kind of drive like that. If you have an older kayak, maybe, you know, cracks up or hole or just something that's beyond repair, we could set something up where, you know, we do like a heroes in the water kayak drive type, you know, we, you know repair boats and, Kind of, it kind of just got me thinking, guys. I never really even considered doing anything, you know, that the possibility of just fixing older kind of run-down kayaks, making them something for those guys to use, you know, and fix them up, make them nice, make them, you know, functional, good kayaks, and give it to whoever yeah. in the water to use it until they can get, you know, newer models to replace them. I thought that was a pretty cool idea instead of just have them sit out the side of the road and get thrown away or rot away in someone's garage. So no, kind of cool. I agree, man. Yeah, that is cool. No, I absolutely agree. I never really thought about, you know, refurbing old boats to do, uh, to surf. Uh, well, you think about it, like Jim said, though, they'll take whatever they can get. So, because they've still got the original boat from Woody. So, you know, that's a, that's a testament right there. So, uh, so event-wise, I think, I think that about taps it out for the next couple of weeks. I don't want to go too far out in advance because then I have nothing to talk about next week. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I was uh, I didn't plan on being too long on the show tonight. I uh, didn't have a lot. I didn't have a big chance to really plan tonight's event. So everybody's listening. I really apologize for that. Uh, you know, boo on me. But I'm trying to think. Uh, we had a let's see what else we had coming up. I really don't know what else you got. Do you have anything else, man? I, I really I'm I'm really lost for anything else that's coming up. And uh, it's. It's just sad that I didn't have anything planned for tonight. 
Well, no, I mean, I'll, you know, I'll take some credit to having been able to help a pitch in. And the past few weeks for us, honestly, have been exhausting. So um, for those that are listening tonight, I apologize. Try and do better <laughs> next week. Okay, yeah, you, you, you can take the blame. No problem. <laughs> but, well, we'll feel like I'm at the store. It is completely my fault. I dropped the ball. Whatever. And, um, you know, you can email me, and I'll see if I can take care of it for you in the future. Well, I'll, ha- um, I'll, have, a couple of, I'll have a couple of fishing reports coming up for next week because I do have plans going down to Ladybird Lake and doing some daytime cranking. Probably well, daytime. I, I'm talking early evening. Uh, early next week, I'm thinking I'm going to take Christian down there because he's never uh, he's never been crankbait fishing. So we're going to go down there and, and we're going to throw some baits uh, over on Ladybird and try that out. And then uh, I'm going to be also probably soon making another trip down to fish for striper. But I'm going to go fish down below the uh, the Travis Lake Travis Dam. Uh, that's a that's a hot spot down there. So. It'll probably more than likely be a night trip, and I'll see if I can't round up Braden and see if he wants to go down there and try it out because he he's, he's really in on doing it too. And then uh, other than men, it's just a matter of time buying uh, the finances and waiting to go ahead and go to Baja, dude. It'll be here before we know it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hopefully well, other than that, I can man. make it happen on my side. Don't you, don't you fail me now. <laughs> you yeah, you pull out you pull out every you pull out every trick you got in that bag, Mary Poppins. Got a few left. <laughs> well, other than that, man, uh, I don't have much else for the, the evening. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to hold anybody else up. If I've, I've got uh, nothing much else to talk about. So uh, we'll be back uh, next week, Tuesday. I'll have a better plan show, and we'll have a. I've got a guest lined up for next week. Not going to let anybody know who it is. I'll post on Facebook, keep everybody in suspense. So uh, until then, uh, bid you a good night, Andrew. Uh, we will see everybody back next Tuesday on Yak Fishing Texas, uh, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time here on Kayak Fishing Radio. So until then, hey, take a kid fishing in tight lines.